This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. So, welcome everybody, welcome all our Torah and Time uh, viewers. So, tonight we're learning Le'ilu Nishmat Yechezkel Ben Avraham. So, we are continuing in our series on Emunah. Now, I, I do, I don't know if I mentioned this before on camera, this series is extremely, extremely important and it's, it's also going to be quiet. Not short. I don't know how to say it in the most, the, the best way. So th- there is a lot to discuss, but, but very important, and when you speak about this concept is, when you speak about any concept really, is that when you learn something, and especially in the spiritual realm, regardless of what it is, you have to internalize it and you have to go and, and make it into a change in your own life. It's not a theoretical concept. Torah is not something that, okay, you learn something that's very interesting, you felt good, you came to a class, you ate some pizza, sushi, or whatnot, and now that's it. But rather, it's something that you learn, and you take in, and you internalize, and you do something different in your life based on the lessons and the, and the learning that you have that you have done. So, emunah is something that, the truth is, I guess I'll give a little bit of the secret of what most of my classes, if not all of them, speak about two concepts. I always try to put two concepts in my classes. Number one is Amuna, and number one is Musal. I always try to put in those two things inside you know, every single one of my classes. Now, why is, is this so important? Because this is the fundamental things that make a person change who they are. And that is really the goal of what we're trying to do over here. So, when we're, even though I'm bringing up the topic as just emuna, there's, there's, really all my classes are, should be about emuna, and really all my classes should be about musa, but this is things that need to be focused on, and emuna is so important, so imperative in your life, that what we're gonna speak about today is not only how important it is, and how beneficial it is, which is things that we already spoke about, but rather, how much of a requirement it is. It's actually an alaha we'll speak about. There's, there's actually things, it's not like, oh, it's nice, but it's actually, it's imperative that each and every single one of us go and live our lives with this manner. There's a Gemara in Makot, page 24a, that David we know, before we get to that, we know there are how many mitzvot in the Torah? 613. 613. Excellent. Every single one of you who said that, you should know that you're Jewish. Okay, so now the, the 613 mitzvot, the Gemara Makot, page 24a, goes and says, David Amelach came and reduced them to 11. Now he didn't erase the other 611, 612 mitzvot would be like, don't worry about these. Rather, these are the things that you need to concentrate on. Then Yeshaya came, the prophet Yeshaya came, and he lowered them to six. Micha came, and he lowered them to three. And Chavkuk came, and he lowered it to one, which is in Chavkuk chapter two, verse four. Tzadik, v'tzadik be'munato yichyeh. And a tzadik, a righteous person, in his emuna he will live. Now, what does this mean that they went from 11 to six to three to one? It means that there are certain things that were is where one's supposed to concentrate on heavily and was supposed to focus on. Chavkuk went, came, and all the way brought it down to one that what's the, like one of the main aspects is Be'emunah. That a tzaddik lives through Emunah. Now, many people want to know what their purpose is in this world. In fact, Jews, non-Jews, secular, really doesn't matter. Everybody wants to know, you know, at one point in time, sometimes it comes when you're an acid, sometimes it comes when you're just thinking on regular stuff, but you come up and you think, wait a minute, like, why am I here on this earth? Like, what's the purpose of me being here? Like, is there a reason for me being here? There, there's, what are we up to, seven billion people? Uh, whatever we are, we're so many people, like, why am I here? So, the Kabbalistic Sparim tell us that there are two signs to know how do you know what your purpose is? Number one is that 
every creature, every animal, let's think about about and every animal has a certain desire. So let's say if an animal is hungry, they will have a desire for food. If an animal is thirsty, they will have a desire to drink. Based on your desire, you know what your body wants and on a higher level what your soul wants. Now, I really don't need to say this, but I will say this. I really actually do need to say this. That if you have a desire for a sin, it doesn't mean that your soul really wants to do that sin. It, you know, in fact, this is where the satan comes, you know, comes in. But one of the ways to know what your purpose in this world is, is what do you have a strong connection to? What do you have a strong desire to do a certain mitzvah, a certain good deed, a certain, a, a certain positive aspect that you can reflect on humanity? Sometimes we have a certain thing that we're sort of like, like, this is very important to me. Or this is one of the things that I connect to. Those, that's number one way to know what your purpose in this world is, is to, is you need to focus on that. What you're connected to. And that can be based off numerous things. It can be based off your previous reincarnation, what either you worked on in the previous reincarnation, or what you didn't work on in the previous incarnation. It could also be based on, we, we all come from a different aspect, a different place of Adam Marishon. So if let's say somebody comes from a place of the mind, so they'll be more connected to intellectual things. They'll be more connected to learn to learn If something, someone comes more from the heart, they'll be more connected to the, to the, uh, the work of Avodah, which is tefillah. So there's different aspects of where you come from, what your origin of your, your, of your soul is. But again, that really doesn't really matter. The, the point is, what do you attract to? What do you like long for? What do you connect to? That's one of the things that you need to go and focus on. Number two, is exactly the opposite of what I said. What is difficult? What is the most difficult thing for you to do? What is the most the thing that you're like? It's so hard for you. You ha- you you can't do it. So the two ends, the pool, two polar extremes. Those are the things that you should focus on. The thing that you're attracted to, and thing that you're not attracted to. The thing that you cannot do. That this is beyond your your ability to do. So. And that is obviously because we have a Satan. So Satan, what it, what it tries to do, really, it's really all one thing. But the Satan, you know, you have this desire to do something. And the second, the other thing, you could also have a desire, or you could also not have the desire. But the Satan knows, that, the evil inclination knows that this is what you need to do. So his job is what? His job is to go and prevent you from doing that thing. So those two things of what you're connected to and what you're not connected to, those are the things that you need to, that you need to focus on. Now again, I just covered everything, right? Either what you like or what you don't like. Just do it. You know, like, but what I'm really focusing on is those two polar extremes, the two things at the far end of the spectrum, things that is most connected and things that you're most not connected to. So when we look at today, in our day and age, our day and age, the test that we have is emunah. The test that we need to go and overcome is emunah. In the olden days, the non-Jews had emunah. They had, they had a belief that there's a God. They had a belief. Today, it's very, uh, you know, it's very common that you have atheism. It's, it's a very common thing. And in fact, there's a story that Rabbi Lezer Parkov goes and brings down. A story with the Baal Shem Tov, That the Baal Shem Tov was once riding on a wagon. And the driver, I guess, I don't know what that's called. The guy who hits the horses and sits down. There's no steering wheel, but the guy who does that. He was a driver, right? Still a driver. Okay, so the driver was a Christian. The rule, the halakha of the Christians was if you saw a priest pass by, you had to do some sort of magic things in your, on your chest, yeah? You have to make the mug and David on your chest. So, the, there was a priest that was walking past by, the Baal Shem Tov was sitting over there, he's looking at his wagon driver, the wagon driver doesn't cross himself when the priest goes by. So the Baal Shem Tov goes and jumps off the wagon. He says, I don't want to go on this wagon. This, this non-Jewish Christian driver doesn't have emunah, even though the emunah is fake. The emunah is in the, in the, you know, in the Christian world is nonsense. It's all garbage. It's all fake. It's all nonsense. But because he doesn't have that, I don't want to have anything to do with that. And in fact, the Gemara Nabot says that if somebody's running away from a snake, 
right? If it would be talking about woman, it would be if somebody's running away from a cockroach. And there are two things that you could go and you could get into. Either a house of, of idol worship, let's say a Christian church, or you could go to an atheism house. Which one do you think the Gemara says is better to go into? The uh, house of idol worship or a house of atheism? S- says the Gemara it's better to go to a house of idol worship. Then to, this is what the Gemara says. Again, I, I, halakhically, I hope you will never come yeah, to this type of question where you're being chased by a cockroach. Um, <laughs> because usually the cockroaches chase runs the other way. Obviously, if you live in America, the cockroaches are on steroids, so a little bit different. But generally speaking, they're running the other way. So the, you know, you know, the concept over here is, is that nowadays you have this concept of atheism is a, is a relatively new idea. It always existed, but now it's, it's so prevalent nowadays more than it ever was. Now, when people say, like, no, I don't believe in anything. Yeah, those people say, I don't believe in anything. Uh, those people are what we call fools, uh, you know, have some, you know, is window open and the heat on. Whew. Only juice. So, uh, no, it's fine. So, you got to have the fresh air, and then they have to hate the heat. I understand. So... Oh, it smelled. Okay, I forgot about that. That's right. The smell actually does make sense. So the... If you know this is Brooklyn, right? The smell outside is just the same as the smell. All right. So, no, no, it's fine. Leave it, leave it. <laughs> After all these comments. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So now, the idea that people say that they don't believe... Everybody believes in something. When you go... And I was thinking, like, what would be the best... Con- I was thinking, like, okay, when you go on an airplane, you believe in the engineering of the airplane that it's going to go and it's going to be safe for you. When you go into a car, you believe that the engineering... You go and you buy... You go to a restaurant. You believe that the food didn't drop on the floor. Believe, right? Uh, you believe that the waiter didn't spit in your food. Right? You believe all these things. And because you, you have a... There's some sort of emunah you have in the restaurant, you have in the, in, you know, in the airplane, you have in the car manufacturer. But you know what I think the best... The best, you know, explanation for this is if somebody goes on a roller coaster, right? So you go on a roller coaster. I don't know nowadays what the roller coaster rides, right? So imagine, I don't know what, you drop 100 feet at least. What's the, what's the six flags? Uh, what? Right, so what is that? How far, how deep do you drop? You drop, you go fast, right? And, you, and then you, you go upside down. And there has been instances where you had people that the roller coaster, let's say, you know, was supposed to go upside down, but it just kept on going up, right? It just, you know, just like forgot about the tracks. Like we're taking off, right? Left the tracks off and people, you know, like, and people died on it. But yet you have people that go to these theme parks where, thank you, where they go and they're going on these crazy, it's not like an airplane where you're traveling from location A to location B. But rather, it's like, okay, scare me so much that I have to scream for my dear life. I'll wait an hour and a half online. I don't care about time, right? I'll sit over here and I'll wait and then you will scare me and then I'll go and I'll, they'll take a picture of me right in my worst time ever and it'll be so funny and I'll enjoy myself and we'll have a great day. And uh, you think about it, but like, but, but why do you trust that? It's literally something that's just like dropping down, I don't know, 100, 200, 300, I don't really know. Four, wow, look how old I am. I said 100. 400 and what? 50? 400. People pay money to go. And I shouldn't actually say that. When it came out, I went on it. Um, uh, <laughs> you know, so when you go and you drop 400 feet. I thought it was 100. Look how oh, my metrics are way off. Then again, it's been many years ago. So you go when you think about it. Somebody's paying good money to go on basically a, 
I don't know, a missile, you know, and just like shoot at life threatening speeds and then just drop at a free for all. And then, you know, and, and this is what we pay money for. But yet we have this emuna that we trust. This, but every time that you have an atheist that goes, you should go around over there and be like, do you believe in God? And be like, I don't believe in anything. Oh, you believe in roller coaster genies, right? You're obviously sitting over here and you're going down this thing. So we believe in something. Everybody, there's no such thing as somebody who says, I don't believe in anything. You, you, don't, be, you don't understand the mechanics of roller coaster isms, whatever it is, right? The, the, the concept of roller coasters. You don't understand the concept of how an airplane flies. And if you do, it's very minuscule unless you're an aerodynamic engineer or whatever and whatnot, physicist. But the majority of us go and we believe. We believe that they, you know, there is rules and regulations and it's safe. And this is the way that we live our daily life. So when somebody goes and says, I don't believe, there's no such thing in that. There, there is, you believe in anything. You decide what you don't want to believe in, and you decide what you do want to believe in. Okay, so you're picking and choosing, right? We know it's very common. That's people. Some people like, you know, they decide what they want to hear, what they don't want to hear, what they want to see, what they don't want to see. People have their own, you know, mishkasa they have, and this is very common in our day and age. But for someone that says, I don't believe in anything, that's false. So the idea over here that HaKadosh Baruch Hu came and has done everything for you and, and guides you is so imperative over here because this is really the foundation of Amunah is knowing that there is a God. And the foundation of Amunah is knowing that God controls everything. So much so, you, you want to hear how important it is, there's, there's, a, um, there's the Chazal, there's, there's a Midrash in Yalkot Shemoni in Hosea that says like this, it says, B'schut Amunah Negalu Avotinu B'mitzrayim. Our ancestors in Egypt, they were redeemed because of what? Because of Emunah. And what's going to be in the, in the future? And in the future, in the time when Mashiach comes, what is the merit that the Jewish people are going to be redeemed? In the schut of Emunah. Now people think Emunah is nice. Emunah, no, no, no. Emunah, it's so imperative. Rabbi Lamelech of Lezink goes and says, one day in Sudash Yishid, he goes and says, what's Chedle Mashiach? Chedle Mashiach, we know, is, uh, we know is, is the, is the birth pangs of Mashiach. But Chevle, Chevle, anybody here speak Hebrew know what a Chevle is? A rope. A rope, very good. A Chevle, what's the Chevle Mashiach, the rope of Mashiach? Says Rabbi Lemel, he goes, and he says that before Mashiach comes, God is gonna tie a string. From one end of the, not like physically, whatever, right? From one end of the world to the other end of the world. This rope is Emunah Bitachon. And what's God going to do? God's going to shake that rope very violently. It's, that's going to be the tests and challenges that we have before Mashiach comes. The final test is going to be a test of all this emunah and bitachon that we have to have. And whoever grabs hold of that rope, whoever holds on to that rope, those are the ones that can be, be able to go and be able to succeed, be able to go and pass the test. So we see over here that it is so important to have emunah and bitachon. You could even say it's the final test before Mashiach comes. And I was thinking about how to title this class. One of the, one of the titles will be the first test and the final test. Because that's emunah. It's all based on emunah. But it goes even further than that. There's a halakha. In Shulchan Aruch, Aruch Haim Siman Reish Lamed Sifhei. It says like this. It says, Le'olam yehei adam ragil omar. Always. Le'olam is like forever. Always. Always a person has to go and be accustomed to say, Kol ma'da'avid rachmanah le'tavavid. Everything that God has done is done for the best. Meaning, what's the saying over here? It's not saying that sometimes when you're having a hard time, that's when you should realize that God, everything that God does, God does from that. No, no, no. Le'olam means always. And not always call. It means, which means is every single aspect, every single thing in your life is from God. And not only is from God, it's everything that happened is, is made from HaKadosh Baruch Hu and it's, it's done le'tavavid. For the benefit of your good. 
for the benefit of your of 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 what's good for you in the future. I shouldn't always say the good you know good now. So we tend to think bitachon is nice. We started off the series saying you'll have a worry-free life. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be beautiful. No, no, no. Bitachon is not only nice. It's a requirement. It's a halacha in shulchan aruch that you have to have a munah in bitachon. The Vilna Gaon says in his commentary to the to, in Mishlei, chapter 22, verse 19, it says the main reason the Torah was given. Isn't this like, aren't you curious what's going, what I'm about to say? The main reason why the Torah was given, right? So I will be like, well, to have children. I don't know, other people just always shoot that. Yeah, main reason to get married is to have children. Main reason, this is everything to have children, right? The main reason the Torah was given to be a better person. The main reason was, says the, says the Vilna Gaon, says the Grah, says that they should develop pitachon. You want to know the main reason for all the mitzvot is? Is that you should go and have emunah and bitachon. So much so that you would think, you know, emunah and bitachon is like a means to get to the goal. No, no, no. Emunah and bitachon is the goal. It's not the means to get to the goal. That is your focus of what you are here on this earth. In fact, one of the questions that is asked after you die, after 120, is tzipita lishua. One of the first questions, the Gemara Shabbat tells us, one of the first questions is what? That they ask you, which means is, by the way, when, when the Gemara says this is one of the first questions that they ask you when you die, that means that it's an important thing to do. It's like it's something that it's important, so important that it's one of the first things that after 120, this is what they ask. What do they ask? Tzipita lishua. Do you anticipate, did you await salvation? What does that mean? So generally, the simple interpretation is, did you await Mashiach? This machine, did you wait every single day that Mashiach is going to come? But even more so, it's not only Mashiach, it's salvation. Every single one of us has difficulties in our lives. Every single one of us has something that we are going through and we want to get out of. They ask you after 120, did you anticipate the salvation of your problems? Did you anticipate the salvation of what's going on in your life? And if you didn't, then there's a very big question, why not? So important is that first of all, it's one of the purposes of the whole Torah. So important, it's but it's also one of the first questions that they ask you after 120. People think that, oh, very nice. It's a nice, it's a nice concept. It's so much more than that. When you think of somebody, you know, generally means that you're not worried, right? You're always happy, you're always relaxed, you're always in a good mood, everything is always good. Everything is always amazing. Now, many people, when they think of somebody who is always relaxed, always happy, always amazing, they think of somebody with maybe has long hair, maybe has a long beard. I'm not talking about women. Right? Maybe hasn't showered in the past three months. Maybe they, you know, smoke and inhale anything that comes from the ground. Uh, you know, maybe they do peace sign. You know, like, they're just like, you know, the hippie lifestyle. The hippie lifestyle was what? You live in your car. You shower once a quarter, right? You bathe with things that come from the ground, with the ground. You love the ground. You don't need the ground. You just, whatever, you know, like, it's just all about nature. It's all about love. It's all about peace. It's all about harmony. It's amazing. It's a really it's an amazing concept. But um, when you think about, like, a carefree life, you think of, okay, well, but that's, for non-normal people, right? People that were stuck in acid in the 80s and the 70s, yeah, they live, but we live in, in the real world and we have jobs, we have children, we have, you know, we have stresses and it's, and it's normal to, you know, to have these stresses. But the, but the answer is no, no, no. The normal way is for a Jewish person to have something called menuchata nefesh. Menuchata nefesh is some sort of, I don't know how to translate this, tranquility, calmness, peacefulness, relaxation, stress-free, drug-free also. I should, I should include that. There's, there's a requirement that a Jew has to have that. Says Rabbi Victor Miller. 
you know, people think that the concept of relaxation is for, maybe for the elite. So, says Rabbi Victor Miller, one of the ways of serving God is known as ish minucha, meaning a man with a peace of mind. You have to have, if you want to be able to serve God properly, you have to be at peace of mind. And not only that, he goes on and says that minucha, this real tranquility, is actually a midah. It's a character trait. People think, what's a character trait? Somebody who's angry, bad character trait. Somebody who's always happy, good character trait. Somebody that's jealous, bad character trait. Somebody that's, you know, always compassionate, good character trait. Menuchat nefesh, this tranquility, is also a character trait. And in fact, he goes and he says, the, the opposite of menuchat nefesh, if you think about it, it's really like this nervousness. I don't want to say anxiety, but, but it's something similar to that concept. Like always anxious about something, but that's a bad word. On, uh, it, it's very hard because when the Torah speaks about minuchat nefesh, what's the opposite of minuchat nefesh? I don't know if there, anybody knows a, a Hebrew terminology. terminology. I don't need a Hebrew terminology. Yeah, Is daga maybe worry? I don't know. So, but in any case, there is a very very important aspect in the Torah that you have to be a somebody who has minuchat nefesh. It's a requirement. You have to have minuchat nefesh. Now. Says Rabbi Vigda Miller, says that Shabbat was given us to teach us this Menuchat HaNefesh. He brings down the Chobot Al-Vavot. That says that one of the aspects of Shabbat is something called, uh, you, have to, you have to be uh, uh, this Prishut. You, you have to abstain from certain things. You, you, you have to be a Perush. You, you, you abstain from certain aspects of, of things. Now, why do we need to abstain from, from things? When you look at our day-to-day lives, so a person wakes up, they're always tired, right? This is just a general concept, right? You wake up, you could be sleeping for about a century, right? You wake up, you're tired. Uh, so you have to snooze. And then by the time you finish snoozing, you're late. So you're rushing. So by the time you're officially awake, you're rushing. And anybody that lives in Brooklyn, your day doesn't stop rushing until you go to sleep, right? And then it recycles, right? Uh, was, you know, rinse and repeat. Again, recycle, you know? So you go and you wake up. And you have to, okay, so now you go, go run. And then, you know, if you have a family, you have to take care of the family, you have to get the kids ready, you have to go this, you have to run over here, and then finally you get to work. And then you finally get to work, you're always rushing. Why? Because you're overworked, right? Because you work, you know, whatever it is. So you're always going from this to that, this to that, and then finally you finish work, you gotta go home. And then what do you gotta go home? You gotta go, and you gotta go make dinner, you gotta go this, and you gotta go take care of the family, and then you gotta go buy, and then shopping, and then who knows what you, before you have a second to rest, if you have a second to rest, then maybe somebody, you know, Maybe somebody has something like a, like a screen in the house, and before they even could have to stop for a second to think, they turn on the screen. So they, you know, and what are they doing when the screen, when the screen is going on? They don't stop switching the buttons. They just keep on pushing the channels. They don't. You watch anything, right? Anybody been on YouTube ever, you don't finish a video. You start at one video and be like, well, I need to go this. And then you finish it, then you go this. And then you go finish it, then you go this. And before you know it, you're 76 years old, not married, not knowing what happened with your life. And you're, you know, you purchase so many things on the advertisement. Your, your whole life is gone. Why? Because we're always rushing. We don't have a second to stop a second. Just, just, just relax. Just stop. Just think for a second. We don't have that time. Comes Shabbat and tells you, forget about everything. Phone is not allowed. Oh, but with the phone is technology. What about if I put the phone on all the time? But you know, like if I keep my TV on all night, Rabbi, could I watch it? I'd be like, just, just stop, just stop for a second, just stop and think. Allow yourself to think. Shabbat is a time where it's prishut, where you go and you step away from the world that you live in. The world that you live in is nonstop movement. Why did the Satan make this, the, 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 all these technologies? Why? Because it's going to prevent you from thinking. If you realize. The Satan tries everything that it can in his power to do to stop you from thinking. When you wake up in the morning, you have to see it, check your email. 
But no one cares about you. No one's sending you emails, right? So you got to refresh. No, maybe, maybe somebody sent me. <gasps> Geico sent me something. <laughs> you know, you go and you refresh, you refresh. And then you go on social media and you refresh and you go and you, and you look at everybody else's life, right? You go over here and be like, stop. Just, just, just don't worry about everybody else, right? Just stop for a second and think. You, we won't have that opportunity if we didn't have Shabbat. Shabbat is a time that we separate from everything else. Why do we separate from everything else? Because our mind is constantly preoccupied with everything in our day-to-day lives. So comes Shabbat, and it's supposed to liberate us from our, from our own, like, craziness. It's supposed to say, like, you can't do anything. You have to go and you have to, yeah, you have to separate. This is why Shabbat is known as a day of das. Das is knowledge. What does it mean, knowledge? Shabbat is known also as minuchash lema. Complete Tranquility, complete, you know, uh, you know, uh, peacefulness. Why is that? Because throughout the week you're constantly running around. Shabbat comes and it just says stop. Like you can't, you can't do that. You can't even think about business on Shabbat. You can't. There's like certain alachot. If you keep Shabbat, you realize it's it's like a therapy session. It's like it's Shabbat is the best therapy that you could possibly have. And guess what? It's free. Insurance covers it. Right? Insurance is a Torah. As long as you subscribe to the Torah, it covers it. You're free. So when you, when you, when you think about it, there's so much that we learn from Shabbat. When you think about it, our day-to-day lives, we worry about a lot of things. And then, fast forward like five years. And then you look back at what you worried about five years ago, be like, what? I worried about like that? Like a midterm? Like, who cares? Like, no one even cares. You know, we're, I'm in a job now. No one could care less what I scored on the midterm, who knows how long ago. Nobody, it was really like the sad reality. You know, people go so crazy over the time. Yeah, granted, do well on school. Study it. But at the end of the day, like... We have two students here. The same. All right. The truth is the truth. I, you know, it doesn't matter. The school's going to call me, right? What are you telling them that's not important? You know, but at the end of the day... The, 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 the sad reality is, is certain girls' schools, you know, you get home from school and they're like, okay, now you're gonna build an encyclopedia and then you build a rocket ship and then when you come back tomorrow, you're gonna, you, they go ridiculous amount of homework, right? They like, like this, like they're becoming a professor. They're like, they're just in ninth grade, right? You just like, let them tighten their braces before you figure out how to run the world. But whatever it is, they go and they bombard him and it's, in a sense, it's good. It is good. But think about like, People that are outside high school, could you care less what you scored in ninth grade midterm? No. But yet in ninth grade, you are having anxiety. You're, you're, irritable bowel syndrome. Who knows what you are having? You are like nervous about anything, right? You have like, it, you are itching and stuff. I apologize for all those who missed that. Okay. The, see, look how anxious you're getting that you lose your microphone. Um, here it is. I hope you wouldn't have microphones when you were in ninth grade. Or if you're in ninth grade, you should not have microphones. So anyways, while I fix this, the, the idea is over here is when you look back in life, the things that you worry about now, you couldn't care less about it. So what does Shabbat tell you? Shabbat tells you that, come Shabbat, just relax. Just forget about everything. So it's sort of like a training mechanism that when you live your day-to-day life, just forget about everything. Don't think about all the troubles. Just like you have Shabbat, Shabbat is not only meant for Shabbat. Shabbat is meant for Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. You just forget. Just don't worry. God takes care of everything. And in fact, when we make Kiddush on, on, on Shabbat, we say, that God created and completed the creation of heaven and earth. God completed it. And now what happens when He completed it? Then we go on to the continuation of, of the Kiddush. But what does that mean? That God created everything. So what you're doing really in your life, you're just going through the most... You're like that puppet 
and you're not like, why are you stressed out? Like, there's a puppet master pulling everything. Obviously, you got, you're you know, responsible for you have the that you do, you know, for you have mitzvot that you do. But at the end of the day, God is in control of anything, and anything and everything. When you go and you eat bread, you say, that God came, what? That you're saying this is God came and took bread out of the ground. But let's say you're a farmer, hypothetically speaking, obviously, because I don't think anybody here is a farmer. If you are, may God bless you. Uh, but you have a farmer. Be like, wait a minute, God took this out? I planted, I plowed, I threshed, I winnowed, I grounded, I baked, I did everything over here. What do you mean? And then I make the blessing and be like, God did this? No, farmer, you know, you know, you know what, what does God over here have to do with it? The farmer did everything. The, the reason is because even though we go through the motions, that's all we're doing is we're going through the motions. At the end of the day, God has done everything for you. From A to Z, it's all from God. So when you think about that, so what are you worried about? So what is really the problem that's going on here? You're, you're, you're anxious about something? You're nervous about something? What's going to be? Ah, oh, so you failed your midterm? Don't worry, you'll still get your shidduch. You'll still have panasah. God will still take care of you. Obviously, make sure that you study and you know your material. Don't get this the wrong way. But at the end of the day, there's so many things that we worry about that are nonsense, that are narishkai. The concept of Shabbat is the concept of emunah and bitachon. The concept of Shabbat is leave everything. Just step away. It's pushut. It's, it's, it's this concept of just like forget about it. Forget. It doesn't matter. It's all in God's hands anyway. The idea of somebody who is, let's say, wicked, Rasha, says Rabbi Vigdemelo, something crazy, something unbelievable. You know, Rasha, a wicked person, is very similar related to something that's called Rash. Rash is something like disturbance, excitement, like noise, like, like uh, this, this uh, um, idea of, well, I guess that's what it is, disturbance, excitement, and noise. The idea over here that people think that Rashaim are people, wicked people, are people that kill, rob, steal, who knows what they do. He says, no, no, no. says, Rabbi Victor Mel, you know what a Rasha is? A Rasha is somebody who's excitable. A Rasha is somebody who can't control themselves, doesn't have a and and they're excitable. That's Rasha, Rash. That's what it means. And Rabbi Victor Mel goes, and it brings down the story from Elisha Ben Avua. Elisha Ben Avua, I'll give you a little background on this. So after the, the destruction of the Second Temple, there, um, there was, you know, a lot of sages, this is the time period of when the, the Tanaim and the Amorim came after this period. So you had, um, let me give you a little, first of all, Elisha Benavua. Anybody know who I'm talking about? Elisha Benavua? He's known as Acher. He was basically the only rabbi that went off. That he was the only rabbi that went off. And in fact, the Gemara in Chagigah, page 15, goes and says that there was once, only once, a rabbi that soured, that went off. And that was Elisha Benavua. Elisha Benavua was known as Acher. He was known as somebody else, Akhar. So what happened was, is that he lived during the time of the destruction of the Second Temple. And by the way, he, in Pirkei Avot, it's Pirkei Avot, Ethics of Our Forefathers? Yes. Yeah. So the, the Pirkei Avot, there's his sayings about, about from Elisha Ben Avot. means that if you get your maxims, if you get your sayings in Pirkei Avot, you're someone huge. Not someone great, not someone, you're someone huge on a, on a different level. So Elisha Ben Avot was someone on that type of high level. But he went off. What happened with him that he went off? So... After the destruction of the te- Second Temple, the Emperor Hadrian went and he made decrees against the Jewish people that you're not allowed to be Jewish. Basically, you have to step, you know, you have to forsake the religion. And the city of Betal started fighting back. What do you mean? He says, no, we're Jewish and we're proud. And they fought back. And it was a, it was a, oh, it was a war. It was some, it was a terrible war. Terrible on both sides for the Romans and for the, and for the Jewish people. But at the end, the Jewish people lost. 
And what happened was is that the, besides all the massacre that happened in Beitar, they also captured a lot of these Jews and they put them into um, the Colosseums, the, the, the like theaters. And they would watch Jews go and fight against animals, Jews, and like literally like the most brutal death possible that happened to these Jews. And Elisha Ben Abuah saw this. And he was like, what? He's like, he, he, it, it basically turned, one of the reasons that they went and, and, he, and it turned him, and turned him off. Says Rabbi Victor Miller, what happened over here? He panicked. He didn't have, he didn't, he should have been, well, he should have been stubborn. He should have saw the idea of what happens when the, when the non-Jewish people oppress the Jewish people. You look at Rome. Where is Rome today? Rome today is not the same Rome that it was back then. Rome today is a different language. If somebody that was Roman 2,000 years ago has Tchiat HaMetim and wakes up in Rome today, he won't understand what they're talking about. The temples is not the same temples. Now it's churches, it's Christianity. Before that it was something else. Rome as we know it, is, it ceased to exist. It is no longer what it was. The, you look at Babel, Babylonia. Does anybody even know what Babylonia is? Right? Nobody even knows. It's like Iran, Iraq, it's somewhere dark, you know, like, I don't know. People always, it's a sand place, people are tan. You know what? Like, people don't know Babylon. Babylonia, Babel was huge. Had architecture, had money, had power, had so much going for it. The Navi in Yirmiyahu, chapter 51, verse 37, said that Babel will be destroyed, it'll be going to ruins. But it'll be so hard to believe. But look, Babylonia is like huge. It's a huge empire. It's going to go into ruins? And the answer is yes, it did go into ruins. You look at Greece. Greece nowadays is not what Greece actually was. Completely no relations. Anybody know what Shinar is? Samaria? Where is that? Right? Like, you don't know. The lost land of Shinar. Right? Like, you don't, we have no idea. There are so many strong empires that existed that no longer exist now. Says Rabbi Victor Miller says that a Jewish person always have to look at the future. They always have to look at the future. Elisha ben Avush, he studied the culture of Rome and the culture of the poems of Greece, and he knew everything, and he was impressed by it. But he should have realized and seen, all this is going to go. It's all going to be lost. None of this is going to remain. Elisha ben Avush should have said, God, you could trust in me. I will stay strong. But he didn't. He didn't. But what was the criticism that you have on Elisha ben Avush? Says Rabbi Victor Miller, it's something that's called Behala. Now it means that he panicked. It's a bad midah. It's a bad character to go and not have menuchat and not, not be able to go and, and be calm. And he goes, Victor Miller goes and brings down another proof. Yaakov Avinu on his deathbed, he goes over to Ruvain in Bereshit in Genesis chapter 49 verse 3. And he says, Ruvain, you're my firstborn. But then he says something. The next pasuk says, but you are pachas kamayim. You are haste like water. Meaning that you will not Excel, you will not become great. Why? Because in order to become great, you have to have a calm personality. That's what you need to become great. Ruvain was criticized. Why? Because of his haste. Because he lost control. People that lose, it's a sin. It's very difficult. It's a midah. It's a character trait. You have to work on it. You have to develop it. But it's something that's a requirement. And this is what happened to Achar, says Rabbi Victor Miller. He lost control. Instead of being stubborn and realizing that everything comes from God. And everything, God has a plan and at the end of the day it's going to be gone. It's going to be not all the Babel and Persia, everything is going to go. It, the, only the, only the, the Torah is going to remain. But instead of doing that, he went and he lost control. This is the importance of Menuchat and Epesh. People think, Emunah, nice, beautiful, 
cute. No, no, no. It's a requirement. Don't get fooled by it. It's halakha. This is something that you need to work on just like you work on anger. And in fact, it's so important that if you have emunah, that everything else is going to fall into place. This is what we said. This is the, one of the main purposes. The main focuses in your life should be to focus on emunah. Not only will it help you in this world, it will help you in the next world as well. If you have two people, two people identical, same situation. Let's say they're in a very difficult work environment. They have the same amount of debt, they have the same amount of... Everything's exactly the same. One person is relaxed, he's calm, he has minuchat and nefesh. Other person is, is anxious, he's not sure what's going to be, he's so nervous, he's losing stress, he's, he's losing sleep, he can't focus on anything. What's the difference between these two things? There's one answer. One has emunah, and one does not have emunah. And if you say one has pills, one does not... At the end of the day, that all goes above the actual issue. The source of the problems that we have in our day and age is we lack emunah. If we would have emunah, all these issues that we have, psychological, emotional, intellectual, fun, everything goes away with, with, uh, with emunah. And imagine you have these two people that has, one of them has the, the, the relaxation, the emunah and the another one does not. But imagine the person that does not have the relaxation. He's very stressed. And somebody comes over to him and offers him a job offer. Better pay, better hours, better location, better work, everything is better. He has to come the next day into the work. And the, his boss is screaming about him. Is he going to get anxious? He's going to be relaxed. He's got a backup. You know, I'm okay what I have. I have a backup offer going on. I'm not worried about it. All of a sudden, he's relaxed. He's calm. He's tra- he has this tranquility because he knows that, okay, if this doesn't work out, I'm taken care of. I have a backup plan. Every single one of us has a backup plan. That backup plan is God. God will take care of you. God is the most wealthiest, powerful, strongest in all aspects, and He's your Father in Heaven. He's going to take care of you. There was once a story, and this story, I've seen it going anywhere from Rockefeller to Reichman to Warren Buffett. It, it's, it's a mashal, it's a parable. Listen to this amazing parable. There was once a guy who had severe financial difficulties. He was going through life with debt and he was going through life to marital. Everything was like coming crashing down. His business, he has the debt collectors that were coming to get him. He couldn't get any new, co- new contracts. Things were not going his way. He's sitting one day in a park bench and he's sitting over there and he's crying. He's like, what's going to be? He says, do I have to fire my employees? What am I going to do with my head? Everything was just collapsing. And he has one guy come in with a very sharp purple suit. I don't know how that exists, but that exists. A sharp purple suit. He comes and he sits down next to him and he sees a guy crying. And the guy in the purple suit says, what's going on with you? Like, is everything okay? And sometimes when a person is in really the depths of the lowest of the low, they'll, they'll open up to anybody. I'll be like, oh, you know, my life is so difficult. I have this business and I can't do this and I can't do that. And he says, what's going on with your business? And he says, don't ask. I don't, I'm not getting any new contracts. And you know, my employees are not listening to me. Everything is just falling apart. So this guy in the purple suit says, listen, he says, um, you know, I hear your business, bless you, I, it sounds like a good business, I actually believe that you have the ability to go and make this successful, I'll tell you what, I'm very wealthy, I'm going to write you a check, you tell me how much you need, it's not charity, it's a loan, two years time, you come, you meet me back at this bench, same exact day, same exact time, exactly in two years, and you pay me back. Tell me how much you need. So the guy's thinking, he says, you know what? To get everything back on track, I need about 500 grand, half a million dollars. I go, this way I could build my business, I could pay for my you know, daughter's wedding, you know, everything will work out great, I need a half a million dollars. The guy says, you know what? I trust you. He takes out his checkbook, 
he writes out a check and he signs it at the bottom, you know, with his name, Mr. Reichman or Rockefeller. Pick your choose, doesn't matter. He goes and he gives him this check. He's so excited. He takes his check, he puts it in his pocket, he's like, that's it. I got the money, I'm going to go. And he starts, and then he opens up the check and he sees, it says there, Rockefeller? He's like, was that? Are you kidding me? That guy believes in me? And he's like, all of a sudden, he's in the next world. He's like, he's like, if Rockefeller wants to invest in me, then forget about it. You know, like, I'm going to be the next Warren Buffett who didn't exist yet. Right? I'm going to be the next Bill Gates who also didn't exist yet. Right? I'm going to be amazing. I'm going to be successful. It's for sure it's going to happen. And he takes the check and he brings it to his office. And he gets all of a sudden this newfound energy that he has. And he starts calling his client, you know, his, his, his previous clients, his, you know, future clients. And he says, listen, I have this product. You're going to love it. He has all of a sudden this energy because he knows if this fails, listen, I have this check. And the day goes by and he made a few phone calls and he was able to get, grab on another extra very, very large client. And he says, you know what? He says, how amazing would it be? That after two years, I come over to Rockefeller, and instead of returning his money, I give him back the same exact check. Oh, how impressed would he be with me? Like that would be like awesome. And he says, "You know what? I'm not going to cash it Justin yet." He goes, and the next day with his newfound energy, he's going, and his employees are listening to him. His wife is actually, you know, listening to him. Everything is going great. I, I, I held myself back. So it, everything is going amazing. He's getting new contracts. Before you know, the business turns around and starts making money. He takes his check and he puts it on a plaque and he puts it right on his desk. He still has the time that he goes and he's able to cash it, but he doesn't want to cash it just in yet. And he's going and his entire business turns around. And Baruch Hashem, everything is amazing. He starts making so much money that he feels he does not need to cash that check in at all. Two years go by. He takes that laminated check in his like gold frame and now he did like so much with Baruch Hashem, his money and put plaques and gold and diamonds and who knows he bedazzled it and he goes and he sits on the park bench over there an hour early and he's sitting over there and he's waiting for Rockefeller to come meet him so he could bring him back his original check and he sees you know a guy walking back and forth he says ah there's the guy looks you know very he's actually is he wearing the same suit I think he's wearing the same suit and he sees this guy walking towards him, and all of a sudden he sees somebody in the background, dressed all in white, running after this guy in the in this purple suit. And finally, this person in white, it wasn't a capitalist, comes and catches up to this guy in the purple suit and grabs him by the arm. And he sees that he starts to turn him away and go the other way. And the guy, this businessman on the bench, saying, "Whoa, whoa wait, wait a minute! So, Mr. Rockefeller, he says, uh, can I uh, talk to you for a second?" And there's a person holding him dressed all in white. He says, uh, he says, who are you calling Mr. Rockefeller? He says, Mr. Rockefeller, you know, like, uh, you know, I know him. Like, we know each other. Could, you know, can I speak to him? And he's like, Mr. Rockefeller? Says, this guy's not Mr. Rockefeller. He's like, what do you mean? He says, I have a check from him, Mr. Rockefeller. He's like, this guy is an insane mental institution. You know, he walks up and down these things. He gives out checks to everybody. He doesn't have a penny to his name. He has one purple suit that he just walks around and he listens to people and just writes checks for everybody. This guy's not Mr. Rockefeller. Mr. Rockefeller doesn't even live in this city. You know, like, what do you, what do you, like, there's nothing to do with it. So he says, what? He's like, what do you mean? This is not, this is Mr. Rockefeller. And he's going back and forth and he says, listen, you know, like, here's the name tag. This is an orderly from this mental institution. This is our grounds. I don't know how you got here, but this has nothing to do with Mr. Rockefeller. And he says, oh, you got to be kidding me. 
But what happened? What changed in this guy's mentality? Not the fact that he had the money. The fact that he had someone backing him up. The fact that he knew that if all else fails, he could cash in the check. Oh, that gave him menuchat nefesh. That gave him this relaxation that don't worry about it. It'll all be taken care of. We have to realize that every single one of us has that blank check in our wallet. That blank check is directly coming from God. God controls everything and God is your Father in heaven. And God has the ability to go and change everything. And now when you think of that concept that God gave you a blank check, then all of a sudden, what's your problems in life? Like, now again, don't go to Macy's and be like, oh, I have God's credit card. You know, like, let's do it. You know, let's swipe it. Yeah, just like everything. Tommy Hilfiger, just wrap it all up, right? You know, size extra small. I'm losing weight. God is my father. Right? Like, everything, just I'll take it. Size negative two. So when we, when we think about it, the, the truth is, is that God is in control of everything. God is your father in heaven. God has given you a blank check. That blank check is your emunah and bitachon. When you go and you live your life emunah and bitachon, you live your life as if you have a check in your pocket from Jeff Bezos on one side, from Bill Gates on the other side, and you're... You know, chest pocket, you have, you know, Warren Buffett. You have all the blank checks of all the most wealthiest people because that is the life of, of Emunah Bitachon. That is the tranquility that you could live your life. How amazing is that? But it's not only that it's amazing, it, it's a requirement. <laughs> there is a requirement for you to go and live a life of Emunah Bitachon. Rabbi Miller goes on and says that Galut, exile, is, it, it, it atones a sin. It brings a Gemara and Bachot. Page 56a, that says if somebody went and killed somebody accidentally. So this person has to go to something that's called an irmiklat. It's a, it's a city of refuge. Now, why, it's not only a punishment, it's actually an atonement. Meaning that when somebody is in exile, it atones. Why does it atone? Says Rashi in Parashat Lech chapter 12, verse 2, that galut, exile, diminishes one name and money. When you're in exile, why does it diminish? Think about this concept for a second. That let's think. Let's let's speak about it from a man's aspect, and then we'll go to to one's aspect. If a man comes home from work, and the entire house is upside down, why? Because the wife decided she's doing spring cleaning in the summer, right? It's just like everything he owns is outside. You know, like everything the kids own is another bucket. Like there is a whole house is turned over. How is the guy going to feel? Pearls and pearls and oh, You got to be kidding me. He's like, now I got to do that. And then he thinks that all the work that he's going to have to do because he knows that the things are getting thrown out, right? The second that there's spring cleaning, there's garbage bags that all of a sudden are getting donated to Goodwill Hunting, whatever it is that, you know, you're donating things to the Red Cross. And if you find the Jewish thing, then you throw it to the Jewish thing. Whatever it is, things are going. And he realizes there's a lot of work. But besides all that work, there is a certain peacefulness. There's a certain tranquility when everything is in its own place, even if you're a messy person. But when things are in order, you're relaxed. You're calm. You can enjoy yourself. My wife is not going to like me, what I'm about to say. My wife is going to like me. She's not going to like what I'm about to say. Um, that whenever we go away, the house has to be spotless. Because my wife, she won't be able to go and enjoy herself knowing that the house is a mess. Like there's something with it that when things are in place, you're calm. You're relaxed. You have this peace of mind, but like, oh, you know, it's nice. You know, like, you know, so, so women generally are more, you know, you come to their workspace and everything's in the right place, and this is the place for my papers, this is the place for my pens, and here I have my notepad, you know, and I'm sitting over here and I'm ready. I'm ready to take on the day. Bring it on, right? What's a man's day? A man's day is like this, right? Everything is all over the place. There is some sort of sauce 
always on a man's desk. We don't know what it is. It just, it's there, right? We just work, we don't clean it up. No, we don't have something called chlor. We don't know what that is, right? We just work around it. So the papers are like all around it. We just don't hit key X. That's just what we just, just leave it. That key is jammed, right? I think there's gum under it somehow, right? We just leave, we leave and we work like this. But general, the, the way that it should be is that if you're misudan, if that you're, you, you're relaxed, it's very important to be orderly. It's very important to be clean. It's very important to have everything in the right place. Why? Because when you have everything in the right place, then you're calm, then you're relaxed, then you're able to concentrate, and you're able to focus. If you're all messed all over the place, you can't concentrate, you can't focus. This is why the Torah tells us, the Gemara says that it's very, very important that when a person prays, when a person davens, you should daven the same place every single time. You have to have a makom kavua. You have to have a place that you're always praying. Why? Because when you're in the regular place, your, your mind is in equilibrium. And when your mind is in equilibrium, you're able to concentrate, you're able to focus, you're able to connect. And if you're not in equilibrium, then you're not able to connect. So if you realize, if you want to know why you're anxious, why you can't... Step one, clean. Right? Clean. It's very important to go and have everything neat and, and, and orderly and you know where everything is and it, it, it brings a, a, a special type of minuchat and nefesh, a peace of mind. The... One of the, the, you know, one of the many benefits of this peace of mind, you think about it like in Munam B'dachon, there was the, the Yatad Neeman, which is a, a newspaper in Israel, that made a 15-year heart survey. Um, this is regarding the deaths of people through heart disease. Uh, and they did this to thousands of people in Eretz Yisrael. And they rated it by how high based off the city. So in Tel Aviv, it was 9.2% of people died from, from some sort of heart disease. In Ramat Gan, 9.1. In Herzliya, 9.1 also. Bnei Brak, 3.2. And Kiryat Sefer, 2.2. Whoever knows anything about Israel. So Tel Aviv, Ramat Gan, Herzliya, not the most yeshivish religious areas. Bnei Brak, you could smell the mikvah water, right? As soon as you walk in, right? Kiryat Sefer, you smell, you know, there's a... It's, it's a, you know, I, I make fun. I, you know, my sister lives in, in Bnei Bak. You know, like, I grew up, in, you know, when I was in Israel, in, in, uh, you know, in Bnei Bak as well. So, in Bnei Bak, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's a place where it's completely, like, like, you think Bar Park, and then you think Williamsburg, and then you combine them, and you morph them into one, and then you inject steroid, spiritual steroids into them, and then you make it much smaller, and that's Bnei Brak, right? So you have, Bnei Brak is a very, very religious area. A very religious area. Chaim Kanevsky lives in Bnei Brak. You have, a, you have a very, very religious area. So you would think, okay, people, you know, you're talking about Bnei Brak, 3.2%, so much less than telling, probably there's a gym at every corner, people are power walking, right? There's a bike lane, you know, people are not smoking over there, there's no such thing as kugel or herring, because that's not healthy, right? You, you look at Bnei Brak, the, the bike lane is the bus lane, and the scooter lane, I'm not talking about the electric one, I'm talking about the one that you have to break a leg in order to go, and you know, everybody is over there, the houses are built one on top of the other, and then when there's a space for a driveway, there's another house on top of that, and that house has a balcony extending for another room for the 12 kids that have inside of here, everybody lives in about a two and a half bedroom apartment, and everybody has about an average of 31.2 kids, and you sit over there, and you think about, like, people will be relaxed in this area, like, you know, like, you must think everyone's vegan, you know, over here. 
It's not. It's really not. They're really not. If you've ever been to any Tish ever in Debrak, you could see by the look of people's body shapes that they're not vegan, right? They enjoy a kiggle. And by I mean a kiggle, I mean like the pen, right? Of a kiggle. Like they enjoy the, the. But yet what? Their heart is healthy. They're very, you know, like the most. Real, why is it? You would think Tel Aviv, right? Everyone's jogging on the beach. Everyone's going and becoming fit so they'll be able to go beach body ready. Why is that should be the one that should have the highest level of, the lowest level of heart disease. But yeah, no. Bnei Brak has higher than Tel Aviv. You want to know why? Because Bnei Brak, the people that are sitting, what are they doing all day over there? They're learning Torah all day. The majority of people over there are in Kolo. They're learning all day. They don't know how they're going to support their family. They don't know how they're going to buy that cookie. They don't know anything. But they're sitting, they're learning, they're relaxing. Today's class is brought to you by Shlemy's Kugel, right? <laughs> I don't know. So at the end of the day, you're sitting over there. They're all eating the same thing. They're all, unfortunately, some of them are smoking. They're all doing that. But yet they have the lowest level of heart disease. Why? Because they have something called emunah and bitachon. They live their life realizing that everything is from God. Again, now I can't say all of them, but the majority, obviously, 3.2% are not. But the, the remainder are all living the life of constantly learning Torah, constantly realizing that everything's from God, constantly realizing that there's a, there's a concept of minuchat nefesh. There's a concept of tranquility, a peace of mind that you need to have. Says the Chavot al-Vavot. Yeah, we're almost finished over here. Says the Chavot al-Vavot, the Shah Ha'avi, the fourth uh, gate, is Shah Bitachon. I want to bring with you nine benefits that the Chavot al-Vavot brings down when somebody goes and has Emunah Bitachon. Number one, I'm not going to go and explain because it's too late. Uh, so we'll go through a path. Number one, not to serve other God. If somebody has Emunah Bitachon, they will not serve other God. Number two, they will not hope in any man. Number three, they will not work to win the approval of another man. Number four, they will not flatter Another man, you see a wealthy person, be like, oh yeah, that's awesome, what you want to skin you know, like in constant, be like, oh, you're so great, you're so amazing. One of those bobbleheads, right? everything is amazing, everything's great. Right, you don't work, when you have a monopoly, you don't, you're not a bobblehead. You know, you're your own person. Number five, you don't agree with them and everything they say if it's against the service of God. Number six, you're not afraid of them. Number seven, says the Chavad you're not afraid of disagreeing with them. Number eight, you're not going to shy away if you have to give tochacha, you have to give rebuke you know, to them. And number nine, what the Chavavot says is that you will not follow in their false ways. You'll not go in, the, in their false ways. The people that are, you know, anybody, any, any man. It doesn't, doesn't, in general, just anybody who, who is maybe more powerful, more wealthy, more successful, anything, just, just anything in general. That you won't, you'll be your own person. You'll realize what you have to do for God. The Additional reason of what Emunah Bitachon brings you is that it gives you the ability to do the right thing. It, um, the person that has Emunah Bitachon, regardless of what somebody will say, do, think, or whatever it is, they will do the right thing. The Gemara in Bachot, page 4b, says that a person that says three times a day, the, you know, the Ashrei, it says that what says the Gemara, that you're guaranteed to share in the world to come. So today I was speaking with my brother-in-law, and he was speaking to me, asking me, what's the concept of skulot? Is gula. All of a sudden you do this, everything's going to be great. Like, what is the concept of skula? So I explained my uh, understanding of skula. is not like, you know, so if you do X, Y, and Z, I'm talking about real skula. I'm not talking about, you know, you found a red string and you put it around your thing and all of a sudden it's going to like deflect all evil eye. You're like, ping, ping, ping. You know, like, yeah, it's not a shield of what, you know. I'm talking about like a real skula, right? 
let's say somebody goes and says Parashat Aman, this week's Parashat, right? If he says Parashat Aman every day, Parashat Aman is a skula for what? Anybody know? Panasa. Very good. Everybody knows it's a skula for Panasa. <laughs> What's a skula to get more religious? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, <laughs> something Jewish, who knows, right? We'll talk about money, everybody knows. So, uh, but it's a good thing, at least you know. So, the, the Parashataman, you say Parashataman every day, it's a school for, for Panasa. Why? Is it that you say it, it's all of a sudden like a certain special power, be like, let it rain God with money? Like, how does it work? How does it work by saying, the concept is that when you do a certain school you're internalizing this God. What's Pashataman? Pashataman means that God took the Jewish nation out to the desert. And not only that He took him out to the desert, He fed them with money, fed them with everything. They didn't even do anything. Meaning that just like God controls everything, you have Emunah Bidahan, the God controls also your Panasa. God could send your Panasa to your doorstep like the Manu sent. So the, the, the concept of Pashataman is what is the concept of Emunah Bidahan? That, what's the skula? The skula is that you'll work on yourself, you'll fix yourself. Obviously, it's I say it. But the, I, the, the, one of the deeper concepts is that you work on yourself, you fix yourself. Now you, there's a skula. And now you go and you bring yourself to a higher level. What's the skula of Enon Milvado? We spoke about two classes ago. The concept is that you realize that everything's from God, so you internalize it. It's a concept of Emunah and Bitachon. So the concept of skula is not just when you say, you say Ashrei three times a day, and all of a sudden you, you have a share in the world to come. But rather, it's you internalize the message of the skula. You're going to the cold, you, whatever it is that you're doing in school, you're internalizing that message. When you internalize that message, you become a different person. When you become a different person, all of a sudden you have different powers that come into you, different uh, the pipelines that are opened up to you. This is one of the reasons, the concept of the, of, of the, of the school out. When you have a munab dachon, all of a sudden you have all these things that are opened up to you. The Shomer Amunim goes and says that the Torah is filled with precious diamonds, pearls of wisdom, unbelievable, amazing gifts. But you want to know what's its prized possession? The prized possession is Emunah. Says the Briskarab, what is the greatest reward for somebody who has Emunah Bitachon? The greatest reward is what? That God gives them more Emunah Bitachon. They give them more of the ability to go and have faith. Because if you get, let's say, money, money doesn't mean that you'll have tranquility. You'll be worried. Oh, do I invest it right? Now who do I invest it with? Now am I going to lose it? So just because you have money doesn't mean you'll have the tranquility. What, it, what means that you'll have tranquility? More emunah bitachon. More peacefulness and happiness and tranquility and calmness is what's going to give you a more successful and happy life. The Rabbi David Asher brings down from the Rebbe of Kobrin that somebody that goes and accepts upon himself that what Hashem does is for the good can achieve more than many fastings and tshuva and you know tikkunim that he that that person could do. And he brings down a story from an official shachta that related to the name of Rabbi Yahu Lapian. And he said that one day, Rabbi Lapian went and he had to collect money for his yeshiva. Yeshiva was in dire dire needs of, of funds, so he goes and he travels a, abroad and he collects money. And when he has enough money, he sends a message back to the yeshiva: "I have enough money." Go borrow money in the area so you could pay back the people that you owe and you could get things that you need. And when I come, I'll pay back because I have the money to pay back. So he goes and he, as he's traveling, he's asking somebody for directions. And this person has to be very nice. He says, listen, I'll take you there. I'm going there anyways. And he takes him to some sort of alley. And before you know it, you know, Rabbi Yopan is faced with a gun. And the guy robs him, point blank, you know, with a gun, give me all your money. And he says, you know what I'm saying, it's for my yeshiva, it's for this. The guy doesn't care, he says, give me all your money. So he went, Rabbi didn't know what to do, he gave, gave him all the money. He gave him all the, you know, the money, now he's left with nothing. And now, now he's left with nothing, the yeshiva already borrowed money to go and pay back for the, you know, for the loans that they've been and, and for the, you know, expenses that they need for the future. So he had no other option. He decided he's going to go to another country and go collect again more money. And he, he went to England. 
And in England, he started collecting, and the people in England, I believe it was in London, were so impressed with him, were so impressed with him that they decided, they asked him, he says, listen, he says, Why don't, he raises enough money, but he says, can you please stay over here and guide the kilah, guide the, um, you know, the community? And he decided that this is the right thing for him to do. Um, and the right thing to do for Klalisa. And he ended up staying in uh, London. He became the Rosh Yeshiva of Yeshiva Eitzchayim in the east end of London. And a short while later, the war broke out. World War II broke out. And he used to live in Lithuania. And of all the people in his town in Lithuania, he was the only one who survived. So it says our official Shachter. It says, you know, you think about it, like what saved his life? Was it the mugger? The mugger saved, technically saved his life. Because of the mugger, he went and he had to go collect in England. Because he went to England, now he went and he met other people. And people came to press him and they, and they, they gave him a post in their town. But really, he says, Rabbi Leal Plan went and he got mugged with a gun. And he could have been, after that, be like, God, really? Like, I am collecting, not for myself, I'm collecting for your students, for your children, you know, so that they could go and learn more Torah. He says, you want to do this to me? You know, forget about it. Where's the golf course? I'll retire. I'm done. But yet, no, he didn't do that. What did he do? He went, okay, listen, this didn't work out. Everything that God does is for the best. That we said before. So he decided that what now? I'm going to have to go collect somewhere else. He goes and he collects somewhere else. And because of that, things came out. What he had, I think, 13 children. Seven of them came big rabbis from that. No one else in his town survived, but he survived. But what, why did he survive? Because he had a emunah and bitachon. Say, listen, God didn't want this to happen, so now let me go somewhere else into it. He lived a life of emunah and bitachon, of tranquility and confidence and peacefulness, that he was able to realize and say, listen, God didn't want this right now, so let's move on. And let's do the next thing that, that needs to. And this really is the tafkid, the purpose of each and every single one of us. Every single one of us trusts in something in our life. We trust in something. We have some sort of emunah. The question is, will you trust in God? And when you do trust in God, if you do trust in God, then you will live a life of tranquility, peacefulness, right? Like the topic is, it's not just for the hippies. Emunah and bitachon, peacefulness, tranquility, is not only a nice thing for a Jew to have, it's a requirement for a Jew to have. So when you leave tonight, you have to think about it. Do you have that menuchat nefesh? Do you have that tranquility in your life to live a calm and peaceful life? To realize that you're doing what you need to do and everything is in God's hands. If you do, you'll be successful in this world and the next world. If you don't, unfortunately, you'll have bad in this world and the next world. So it pays for us, not only in this world, but also in the next world, to figure out and work on ourselves, the midah of menuchata nefesh, the midah of tranquility, the midah to remove that anxiety is a very bad word. I don't want to use anxiety because some people have anxiety based off a chemical imbalance. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about anxiety based off things in your life that you could, you know, bring it down. That's not the right way. People are, you know, pe- people should have this menuchata nefesh realizing that if you want to have anxiety, you have anxiety to go and follow the Torah. Be like, oh, I need to learn more. You know, yeah, that's a little bit of a positive anxiety, obviously, to the right, to the right level. But when people go and they have anxieties for the wrong thing, be like, you're losing everything. Like, you're not gaining anything. You want to want to school out to remove that anxiety? Have a munah bitachon. Ain od milavadol. Realizing that everything's from HaKadosh Baruch Realizing that Pashaman, God sends all the panasa. God does everything. When you live life that way, you'll have minuchata nefesh, which is not only a nice thing, but again, it's a requirement. So bear this in mind. That you think about it. That you concentrate on it. That you change your way. Tonight you go to sleep calm. Tonight you'll sleep like a baby. And I don't mean a baby waking up every two hours to cry and eat. Sleeping like a baby relaxed. Sleeping like a baby means that you know that your mother's taking care of you. 
that every time that you're hungry, you've got a meal coming to you. That no matter what happens, you're taken care of. Because that's what we all are. We're all babies. We're all God's children. And God will take care of us. Questions? Yes? Right. This is why. Right. So this is why, and and I and I fear actually that my last class that I gave was was very strongly based on the Chazonish, which people think Munam Bidachon means that everything will be fine. And no, it doesn't mean that. Unless you didn't have an Ivoa prophecy from God, who says that everything's going to be fine? Yes, yeah, some things are difficult. Some things will come to us as tests. But what's the Munam Bidachon? Munam Bidachon means that that test comes from God. Meaning that that test, even though it's difficult, even though it's problematic, even though there's issues that we have to and will have to deal with, but we the, the calmness means that, that God is sending us to, this to us. And when God sends us to us, it's sort of like, all right, even if it's not going to be good, it may it all be good for all of every single one of us. But even if God forbid, whatever it is, one time, one time only, right, whatever it was in the past, wasn't good for us, we have to realize that it was from God. And when it was from God, and that God controls everything, that that in itself also has the ability to not only to overcome the test, but also to grow from the test. So it doesn't mean that everything will be good. I'm not saying good, but I still feel like it doesn't, like, like the fact that you still have fear, though. Like, even if I believe that... There's nothing wrong with fear. There's nothing wrong with being... You should be fearful, right? If, if, God forbid, somebody is in Israel, and you see somebody very tan running over to you with a wire, (laughs) screaming, Allah Akbar. You shouldn't be like red string, ping, 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 you know, like, I got it. You know, don't worry about this, soldiers. Let me take care of this, right? Uh, take out your tilim and, you know, take out some Kabbalah water and start throwing, you know, take out your Magen David, whatnot. Like, obviously, you need to have fear at certain times. Fear doesn't mean that you have anxiety. If God forbid something happens, there's nothing wrong with being fearful of it because you don't know the outcome of it. But the idea is, is that underlining that fear, there's a reason and a, and, and a source of where that comes from. That's a munam bidachon. Munam bidachon doesn't mean that you're going to be fearless, right? Then you're just going to walk into oncoming traffic and be like, forget about this, you know, like I got to go to a shiot, ah, God will take care. No, we have to have, we have to do our correct ishtadlut. But there's nothing wrong, the, the fear is not, that's what the Chazanish says. Somebody, you know, like you need to have fear sometimes. You do. It, it doesn't contradict. It's the concept of what underlines everything is all comes from God is what you have to realize. Good? Okay. Any other questions? Yes. Oh, that's a very good question. How do you know? Right, so how do you know when to accept it and when you have when when you should stop doing your istadlut? So the answer is is that I would have about two hours that I need to do and discuss it. I actually one of the one of the classes that I do plan on speaking is about the topic. Hishtadlut versus effort. Like well, Hishtadlut is effort. So Hishtadlut versus Emunah. Like how much effort do you need to do versus you could say, okay, this is ready in God's hand. So that's a whole topic in itself to you know on how to understand it. One of the probably the most common question that people ask on Emunah is that. And it's also probably one of the most one one of the many misunderstood concepts of Emunah and how much he's supposed to have. So Bizarre we will speak about that. But uh, you know, stay tuned. Any other questions that I could answer? Yes now. <laughs>
Okay. So, so you're actually asking a few questions in one, which is actually very, very important. I'm happy that you brought it up. But you're actually asking a few questions in one. So number one, the concept of, let's say somebody goes and let's say somebody's depressed, right? Let's use that, that example. That they're depressed for a reason, but also that you said that God made you depressed and made you have these feelings. I'll tell you like this. You said a trigger word, at least for me. God made you, which is true because that's all we're saying, that God controls everything. But what we also have to understand is that there are negligence in people's lives, right? So <clears throat> let's try to break this down. And, and the truth is, this is a really a complex, this is a really a long answer that, that, that we, can, we can discuss this, this concept in a, in, a, in a whole sheer in itself. But let's think a bit like this. Let's say somebody has something bad that happened to them and they get down. Let's not use the word depressed, let's use the word down. And when they're down, there's something known as people that wallow in their misery. Uh, you're familiar with that? Yeah. Wallow in their misery means that they go, and let's say they're depressed, and instead of getting out of that depression, they go and they build a, a stronger depression. And they build a strong... I think it's their choice. Not their oh. choice. So let's... Right, so let's let's try to speak hypothetically without thinking about anybody in particular in mind, okay? Now, is it their choice when they wallow in misery? Now, let's stop for a second and put that in pause, and let's use a hypothetical other situation where somebody goes to therapy, right? So this person is in therapy, same situation, has that depression and has those same issues, but what does a therapist do? A therapist goes, well, I'm not talking, again, hypothetical. Hypothetical. I just want to. Be, not, it's not about the. It's about the point. The point is, what are the therapy the therapists do? The therapist goes and prevents them from wallowing in their misery, gives them coping mechanisms to go and deal with the depression. So again, it's not about what you can't afford and what you can't do and you, what you didn't do. But the question is, is that there are certain things that were decreed by God, but we're there is also free will. So where is it? that our free will kicks in after that decree, and how far do we take that decree? Meaning that let's say God goes and says, listen, you need to be, X person needs to be depressed for three days. And that's why they need to be depressed. But, because, but instead of working their way out, but instead of working on themselves, because we have free will, 
right? We have free will. A depressed person, you do. It's difficult for you. You may need medicine. You may need therapy, but you have free will. Maybe less. It may be less than everybody else, but everybody has free will. Everybody has, even the most insane, mentally insane person, unless you're talking about a complete, you know, shoteh or something that the Gemara calls it, that they're not responsible for any, for any of the mitzvot, but somebody that, that is somewhat with it, they have some sort of free will. Now, what is the extent, extent of that free will? It depends on the level of where they're holding. But there are people that are able to go and get out of their situation. But they... Choose is not the right word. But let's use the word choose. But just know that's not the right word. They choose not to go out. They choose not to go out of that. Why? Because instead of working on it, it's difficult. It's not easy. It's very difficult. If somebody goes... It, just because the person who is inside doesn't see a way out doesn't mean that there is no way out. Just because you feel like it's done doesn't mean that it's done. Again, for you it would be made very difficult. But that's why you have resources to utilize. Every single person has you. They have family. If they don't have family, they have rabbis. If they don't have rabbis, they have met friends, mentors. They have something that they can reach out. In fact, anybody who lives in America has, for example, a suicide hotline. So there's always resources to go. But people don't always utilize it. And I'm telling you, and I'm speaking from experience, I deal a lot with depressed people. And I deal a lot with people that have anxiety. And I deal a lot in this area. And not because I want to. And I work very closely with certain therapists for this area. And it's not that people don't have a way out. And I know that when people that hear this will not agree with me. People that are suffering through this stuff will not agree with me because it's very difficult to smell the muck when you're in the muck. But when you think about it, there is always a way out. It might not be easy, and I'm not saying that it's easy. And it might not be the most accessible, but there is something that every single one of us could do. Somebody could be in the worst marriage. They could work on something to fix it. They could do something. Somebody could have the biggest anger problem. They feel like they're done. They could fix it. They could work on it. But it's too hard for them to do it, so they give up. One of the things, one of the words that I use is wallowing, is because people that are in that situation, instead of trying to overcome it, which again is very hard, I know, I know it's very hard, I know it's very difficult, but there is an aspect, do you take a baby step to go to the top level, or do you instead say, forget about it, God hates me, I hate God, and everything is bad. Or, do you stop for a second? Yes, for certain people, Imunah Bitachon is much more difficult than others. You want to hear something that I feel very important? That many people when they pray and they feel like they don't get answered, don't actually look if they got answered or not. And I'll tell you what I told somebody who prayed for something, someone that passed away. And they said, I don't understand, where do all my prayers go? He says, I prayed and I prayed and I cried. And I did so many, took on so many good things and they still passed away. You can't get, like someone depressed, you can't get a higher level of a lost prayer than that. So like what happened to that? So what? God can't take care of it? God can't do that? Why not? So, so what? God can't take a person out? Yeah. So some people in the press is also asking for a miracle. What's the difference? So it's a higher level. So what I told them is, what makes you think that your prayers went bad? Like somebody, let's say, that prayed for somebody and the person died. Like, what makes you think your prayer is wasted? This, let's say, person had children. Maybe 
the decree was that this person will pass away. And there's nothing that can happen anymore. But now your prayers went and helped those children cope. Help the spouse cope. Help the parents cope for the lost loved one. Is that a waste prayer? How do you know that you could judge your own prayers and God's response to your prayers by saying it didn't work? If somebody goes and wallows in their own misery, and let's say they're depressed or anxiety, or they have some sort of emotional issue, and they pray and they pray and pray and they don't see any, any results. How do you know you didn't have results? How do you know you don't know the alternative? You really we don't know what could have been. You know how many people, look at the World Health Organization, how many people die every single day based on suicide? So you prayed, and let's say it was depressed, and you think that you didn't get answered. What's an answer? People think an answer is, is that that's it. I'm going to be a happy person. I'm going to be singing in the rain, right? With my umbrella tucked under my arm, whistling. Like, what makes you think? Who are you to decide what's an answer to your prayer? Well, many times when we think that we didn't get an answer, how do you know? How do you know you don't know the alternative? There are many aspects in your life that you prayed and you think that it didn't work, but really it did work. And when are we going to see that? Only after 120, God be like, you know what was decreed on you? You were decreed X, Y, and Z, but because of that prayer, all that went. So yeah, you stayed status quo. But you know how much of a blessing that is? You know how much was meant to happen? So when we say, oh, like we prayed and we didn't work, you know, in, in, in the emotional disturbance area where, where there's, there's issues over there, it's very hard to think intellectually. Very hard. And it's not that someone can work on it. It's very difficult. Because when your emotions override you, it's very hard to think from here. And that's the same thing with dating. When someone's dating and the emotions take over, they don't think intellectually. When someone's depressed, they don't think intellectually. You know, the people that I deal with that are depressed, 90% are angry people. They're very angry. And they expect everything from everybody else. Be like, I don't understand, how come you're not doing this? You're not going to do that? They're, they're, they're not, but it's not their fault. It's that they're, they can't think intellectually when their emotions are so overrunning it. So the free will that you have is very, is very, is very minor in that area, but there's something that you could do. There's something that you could work on. There's something that you could focus on. And you want to know one of the things that I tell people in that, in that situation, work in a munamitachon. Theoretically, there, are, it's, it's, it's much easier to, to work on it when you don't have the problems. But practically, it's much more beneficial when someone does have the problems to work on it. Very difficult. I'm not saying it's easy. Nothing that I said today am I saying that it's simple and it's easy. It's a very, very, that's why it's a lifelong work. But it's something that even though it sounds nice, it's something that every single one of us can work on. It, one of us can ex- excel in it while another can make a small progress in it. But everybody can do something. Something you can, you can change. The concept, the mindset in it. And there's no such thing as a lost cause. Because if there's a lost cause, that person is six feet under. As long as you're still breathing, God still feels that you have a purpose and you have a cause. And as long as you're still here, no matter how bad and how emotionally disturbed and how intellectually and physically, no matter what is, there's still... How do you know? Well, I understand the question. You want to know what the purpose is? The purpose is to follow the Torah. You don't have to start thinking Kabbalistically and what, what's my goal. The goal is follow the Torah. You know the people that were in the Holocaust? They were known as Muslim men. Dead people walking. Those people that survived, they were dead inside. But a majority of them were able to rebuild their life. Even if somebody is dead inside, I don't think you can get, maybe you can, I don't know. I'm not a therapist, but... I don't think you get more dead inside than seeing your families murdered in front of you and losing everybody that you love and then being able to go and come back. 
So if somebody is able to overcome that, again, everybody's different, and you can't judge from one to another, but a person should never feel like it's a lost cause. And a person should never feel that you don't know what to do. You know, you might not know what to do, but that's why God gave you the Torah. The Torah is there to tell you what to do. So you follow it. You mess up sometimes, so you keep on following it. You fall down, you get back up again. We could do a whole class on this. <laughs> Good? Um, Somewhat? Could I, uh, just a comment. I've been trying to integrate Eno Milvado, um, and I, I did a journal, um, and it's helped me. And um, I have a habit of pain, that's just an aside. <laughs> um, and small things, big things have happened that I don't need to share, but really. Um, and it's just, I think, a month's time. And yesterday I was walking, and I saw this on the ground. Ain Od Milvado. Oh, wow. Can I see that? <laughs> yeah. Is it yours? No. Not mine. <laughs> so, it, so, I just had it there. <laughs> we should make more of this. Can you see this on camera? This is a great magnet. Ain Od Milvado. I don't know why it's not on a phone. I, I, but that's interesting. Yes, that's great. I had people that reach out to me. They made plaques on this. Eino Movado. They did. They, they really changed. You know, it's amazing. But yes. Okay. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.